You're listening to the Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda, recording from Washington, D.C. And I'm your co-host, Katie Putz, coming to you also from Washington, D.C. Hey, Katie, how's it going this week? Happy uh, Happy Turkey Week. Yes, indeed. I'm getting hungry. Yeah. Uh, sorry sorry about that for all of our non-American listeners, but uh, it, is, it is Thanksgiving week here in the United States. Um, and uh, Katie and I decided that it'd be a good time to hop on and take stock of the recent U.S.-China summit meeting between President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping in San Francisco last week. We're recording this on Monday, November 20th, so it's been a few days uh, since the summit took place. And I think I think there's a fair bit to talk about here, right? The big headline here, Katie, is that, according to Joe Biden at least, the United States and China, quote, made progress. Uh, and, you know, I think the bar had been set pretty low going into the summit with expectations quite low. But I think we did have a sense, a sense that the two countries were uh, attempting to improve things, right? U.S.-China relations had entered, um, I mean, they have been in a bad place for several years now, but they'd entered a particularly bad spell following, of course, Speaker Pelosi's, former Speaker Pelosi's visit to Taiwan uh, last August, which resulted in the suspension of a whole number of U.S.-China mechanisms. Uh, and then, of course, the balloon incident earlier this year uh, that also derailed a trip to China planned by the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, uh, in the meantime. But, um, you know, when you look at uh, San Francisco uh, and sort of what transpired there, what are what are the big takeaways for you, Katie? You know, I, I think the this was the rapprochement that I think Blinken was looking to achieve with his visit that got derailed by the, the whole balloon gate fiasco. Uh, because, you know, Biden and she met for the first time uh, during Biden's administration, at least uh, in November of 2022 at Bali on the sidelines of the G20. And that was kind of presented as a moment where there could be warming of ties uh, and there was sort of nascent hope for a better relationship that quickly dissolved uh, in, in the puff of a balloon over the United States. And then I think, so I, I think this actually achieved a little bit more than the, that Bali visit, but only because things had gotten so bad that it was easy to score some of these wins, you know, these sort of resumption of military to military communications, for example, is maybe something we want to dive into. That is one of the things that had been curtailed after the Pelosi visit and then didn't come back after the Bali uh, conversation and didn't come back uh, because there was sort of that lack of diplomatic engagement in the first part of this year. And so I think that was, it, it's low hanging fruit, but it is fruit that got picked. So that, I think that should be um, something to be a little bit thankful for. Uh, what did you make of, of the military to military communication aspect in particular? And then we can kind of dive into some of the other uh, developments. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think that's a pretty big win for the Biden administration in particular, uh, right? Um, the Biden administration has repeatedly been calling for the importance of establishing, uh, and in this case, restoring so-called guardrails between China and the United States that could prevent mm -hmm. um, miscalculation or, or misperception from potentially allowing a crisis from spiraling uh, into into something broader, uh, right? So just to kind of recap for our listeners, um, this was something that China explicitly pulled on after Pelosi's trip to Taiwan last August. Uh, and so there were eight um, processes canceled by the Chinese side. Uh, and I'll just briefly read them out. I have the foreign ministry statement from last year on the Chinese side. And I think it's worth going through this list just to kind of emphasize the breadth of how China reacted 
to the Pelosi trip to Taiwan, right? Uh, and of course, uh, the U.S. has a separation of um, the government between Congress and the executive branch, uh, but the Chinese side really ignored that, uh, largely punishing the Biden administration for uh, the visit by the former speaker. So the cancellations included the U.S.-China theater commander talks, uh, the defense policy coordination talks, the, ma uh, the military maritime cons consultative agreement meetings, which are the big ones for managing some of the um, maritime incidents, uh, which uh, continue to be an issue, of course, overflights and near collisions in the South China Sea. Uh, then there were um, a few dialogues on the repatriation of illegal immigrants, legal assistance in criminal matters for U.S. and Chinese citizens, cooperation on transnational crime, counter-narcotics cooperation, uh, and the last one, which isn't related to sort of security, uh, immigration, or homeland security questions, is uh, U.S.-China talks on climate change. So those were the main casualties. Um, and not only have they now reestablished uh, military communications, and I assume what that means is basically that the first three in particular are going to start taking place again, and then the other ones, mm -hmm. I assume, are also sort of looped into this. Um, but not only have they established this, Katie, but uh, you know, in the lead-up to the summit meeting, uh, we actually had the first ever convening of U.S.-China um, director general-level talks, uh, assistant secretary talks on the U.S. side on arms control, uh, which actually hadn't happened since the, since the Obama administration. Uh, and actually, I think since... Obama's first term, uh, if I if I recall correctly. So that's the resumption of something that hasn't taken place in a long time and is another high priority for both sides. Uh, so it, it it's interesting to see this all take place. I think for the Chinese side, um, the resistance to the guardrails agenda, so to speak, and the and the uh, impulse to cancel many of these military communications mechanisms was to manifest greater risk for the United States, right? If you're trying to deter mm -hmm. the United States from carrying out FONOPs or flying surveillance aircraft near your airspace and in international airspace, one of the ways to do that is to manifest greater risk in those operations. And so now I think this is um, obviously a very welcome step, uh, although again, pretty limited, right? We're basically back to where we were a little more than a year ago. Uh, which, again, I think speaks to how low the bar had been set. But I think I think overall, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, how enduring this will be. Uh, just to kind of maybe steer our conversation forward a little bit, I think it's also interesting that this summit, of course, takes place. Um, and we're getting into the realm of the speculative here because we still don't fully understand what's happening at the highest levels of the Chinese leadership. But, you know, this is happening after the resignation uh, or the disappearance, rather, of the former Chinese foreign minister, Qing Gang. Mm. Uh, Defense Minister Li Shang-Fu and the shuffle in the People's Liberation Army Rocket Force, uh, indicating that something is up. Uh, and, um, you know, if Xi Jinping is potentially concerned about certain internal dynamics in China, the Chinese economy is also not doing that great. It may make sense then to stabilize things with the United States, at least temporarily, uh, because mm -hmm. ultimately I do think it is Chinese reciprocity here that led to this largely positive outcome uh, in San Francisco. Yeah, I, I think that's a good observation. And then I, I think if you also add in uh, the fact that before his meeting with uh, Biden, Xi uh, hosted the Australian Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. Uh, and, and that was also another relationship that had gone very, very poorly in the last couple of years and it was is quite, quite a low point. And in that visit, at least sort of in the Australian context, is being seen as sort of a reset in that relationship and some of the, you know, restrictions on Australian goods uh, being imported into China have been rolled back and sort of a resumption of, of various kinds of talks. And so I think if you take that in context with the Biden meeting and with some of these other diplomatic openings, I think you're right to sort of remark that there, 
it seems to be that the Chinese side's willingness to engage is what has changed. I don't think sort of the United States' asks have changed. And, and I think that's pretty obvious. For example, the, the first thing sort of listed in the, the Biden administration's readout of this meeting has to do with, with the fentanyl crisis in the U.S. and sort of Chinese action on um, cutting off the, the sort of routes for precursor chemicals to come from China to the United States that feed into what is very much a domestic issue. Uh, but that's what, what was listed as number one. And I think that that says something about U.S. politics, but that's something that the U.S. has been sort of pushing China on for several years. And so the fact that there seems to be some progress in that area, though I, I would caution on the progress word because these, this topic has been really big since at least 2019. Uh, and so the how much actual progress will be made in dealing with this issue is unclear, but they're talking about it again. And I think that that sort of is, concession is too strong of a word, but it is a little bit of a concession from the Chinese side to the US side to sort of move that particular needle. Uh, and then, then as you sort of pointed out, you know, the resumption of these military communication agreements bring us back to a place that was like a year ago, but that communication, we shouldn't underplay how important that kind of communication is, particularly when you do look at the South China Sea, um, you know, the, the recent issues, but I think we talked about this in the last episode, uh, the South China Sea and the Philippines and China and some of these run-ins um, are concerning because the U.S. has defense agreements with the Philippines. There are these uh, sort of ambiguous areas where a small sort of conflict could become a conflagration. And we don't I don't think I decided really is interested in that. But how how we chart out of that is is unclear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, one other thing I wanted to flag here um, is some interesting language in the Chinese readout. Uh, and so, you know, after summits like this, both sides issues re uh, issue readouts, which tell us a bit about what they thought was important. So, you know, you pointed out that the U.S. readout, for instance, uh, begins with the fentanyl issue, which is interesting. Um, what's somewhat new on the Chinese side, and, and I don't know what this tells us about, you know, whether, uh, I don't want to call this a reset or anything, but like maybe a detente in the U.S.-China relationship, is the China um, the Chinese readout suggests a greater acknowledgement of the competitive dynamics between the two countries, right? China has been pretty resistant to accept the U.S. framing, uh, right? The U.S. readout says the United States and China are in competition. Uh, the Chinese <laughs> side notes that China and the United States are going to work to, quote, responsibly managing the competitive aspects of the relationship, which is interesting. Uh, it's not, it's not again, an acceptance that the U.S. and China are in competition, but responsibly managing competitive aspects of the relationship paired with the restoration of sort of military crisis management mechanisms and dialogues, uh, again, I think is a pretty, pretty interesting development. Because even if we accept that this was the Chinese side exhi exhibiting some reciprocity for the United States, um, there's not really a particular reason for China to include that language uh, in their own readout uh, uh, of the of the summit here itself. So I just found that to be uh, somewhat you know, somewhat notable. Uh, I don't know what that tells us longer term, but at least I think in the short term, it suggests that she uh, sees value in preventing matters from getting worse uh, with the United States in the short term. I think I think here maybe it's also useful to talk to, you know, some of the things that the Chinese side didn't get from the United States, right? We, we see no signs that the U.S. is about to back off on 
uh, semiconductor export controls, for instance, for China, which was a big issue. The two sides did talk about artificial intelligence, about setting up a group on um, or setting up a working group on artificial intelligence safety. But um, the U.S. is holding fast to uh, some of the red lines that the Biden administration has set up on on semiconductors that have certainly been a focus for the Chinese side. Uh, and then similarly, I think on the Taiwan issue, I think some commentators focused on the fact that, you know, Biden affirmed the United States one China policy distinct from China's one China principle. Um, but he didn't talk about uh, the three communiques and the, shik, um, uh, and the six reassurances, uh, which I don't think there's too much to that. But, you know, some people took that as the Chinese side potentially getting a win from the United States. I think that's a little tendentious, but uh, interesting to see how kind of, you know, still both sides um, are, are looking for uh, certain certain red lines uh, to either be affirmed or to not be transgressed. Um, but, it, you know, you mentioned Bali earlier, Katie, and I sort of skipped over that in my recap of the relationship because Bali very quickly got derailed. And so the question, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wonder now um, and this is actually, you know, uh, um, just a preview for listeners. Uh, I, I will be writing a short outlook for the Diplomats magazine on the United States next year. And I'm thinking about U.S.-China relations in particular. And this was the thing. I mean, nobody could have seen after Bali that a Chinese spy balloon would be detected over the United States and <laughs> throw things into chaos. And so similarly, you know, we wonder right now, you know, f- five or six days after this summit, everything looks peachy. Uh, things are in a much better place, but the prospect for crises, I think, still looms, right? Uh, even if we have these dialogues, and and look, I mean, these dialogues are regularly scheduled meetings. They're not sort of crisis communications, really. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, when the balloon was detected, the U.S. had a very hard time getting hold of the Chinese side. So issues like that, I think, still loom. Uh, what are the greatest risks that you see here, Katie, after after San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's a very good point, and, and is a, a note of caution to everyone uh, that we cannot predict the future, nor are we trying. Um, but you know, I think one uh, one of uh, one observation I want to mention before answering that question, Ankit, is is something that uh, our colleague Shannon Tiazzi wrote about um, right after this this summit, and she noted that. In, in sort of these readouts, neither side is changing their position. They were reiterating the things that they have always said, for the most part, about the core issues and their their own red lines. Red lines is sort of a phrase that the Chinese used an awful lot more. Um, the United States, you know, brings up things like human rights and freedom of navigation. China brings up things like Taiwan and export controls. So there's sort of the status of the relationship is pretty much the same. The two sides have the same positions that they have held for a while. What's maybe changed is some of those regular communications tools that when you reference sort of the balloon incident, one of the reasons that was an issue is because they didn't have these communication channels open. So that became more difficult to figure out what the heck was going on. Now, looking sort of forward, I think, you know, there, there are these risks of these kind of black swan events, things we cannot predict uh, that blow up the plans of everyone involved. Um, but that said, you know, there there are opportunities here to actually work on some of these issues, whether that is what's going to happen. I'm not going to go on, go on that limb and predict, um, because I do think there's a lot of, there's a lot of points of contention between the two. And I, I don't see a lot of flexibility in either kind of pulling back from their own personal red lines. It's just whether those red lines line up with the other parties. 
Yeah. And, you know, I mean, maybe the closing note here is that, uh, you know, I, I talked a little bit about why the Chinese side might have an interest in stabilizing thing, but I think it's also true uh, on the U.S. side right now, uh, right? Mm -hmm. The Biden administration were uh, less than a year from the U.S. presidential elections with major crises in the Middle East. Uh, and of course, the Ukraine war continuing in Europe. Uh, while the U.S., I think, will continue to press the competitive agenda with China, I don't think the Biden administration has any particular interest in seeing the relationship. Uh, you know, seeing the relationship deteriorate uh, as a result of the competitive uh, impulse, at least on the U.S. side. So whether whether that takes us into a year of broader detente, I think, remains to be seen. Um, but certainly, I think, um, you know, you can make that case based on what we've just seen in San Francisco. Um, but I think with that, Katie, uh, let's uh, let's call it for this week and uh, we'll be back in December, I suppose. Yeah, we will keep our eye on this and we will be back with everyone after our little holiday. Great. Yeah, for uh, all of our American listeners, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Hope you have a nice, uh, warm time with family or friends or wherever you may be. And uh, for everyone else, uh, hope the rest of your November is great. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. <laughs> and uh, Katie and I will be back soon, as I said, with more. Uh, if you've been a subscriber to the show, make sure you... Um, leave us a review. And if you aren't yet subscribed, please do that so you can keep up with future episodes. Uh, and as always, if you have suggestions for what you'd like to see covered on the show, you can reach out to either of us and we'd be very happy to take that into consideration. Thanks a lot for listening and we'll be back soon with more.